Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind. With a bowl full of chips. Welcome back, college football fans. Hey, you hungry? You want some snackings? Well, we got it for you because you are listening to A Bowl Full of Chips, college football's most underrated growing national podcast. College football is our passion. Giving you deep college football insight and analysis is our mission. Because at BFC, we bring football closer. I am your co-host, Scrappy Chappy, alive and kicking with my bro host, End Zone Celebration Backflip Bip. We are now two and a half weeks into the season, Bip, and like the TV show actors, there are some teams with sheen and some that have made criers of their fans and some that have just sucked Ashton. Okay, that's my best Gene Shallot salute, Bip. Uh, uh, Gene Shallot salute. Um, how you doing, man? How, you, I hope you're having fun with my puns here. Um, maybe, Chappie, you could have taken that play from uh, Charlie's book and gotten some aids to help you write those puns, my friend. But uh, <laughs> outside of that, I'm doing okay, my friend. <laughs> you win pun of the night, man. Hands down. <laughs> well, man, we work well together, and I want to do this for a long time. And what we could use from you, our listeners, is for you to rate and review our show wherever you can. Please also subscribe if you don't already. It's easy, and it benefits you. Bip and I were on Twitter, so give us a follow. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC Bip. Share our handle, like our post, reply with anything that you feel is necessary. Finally, visit our show's Twitter page on at Bowlful of Chips, where we post our website for a growing number of resources and information that will satisfy your college football hunger. You can also find links to our previous podcasts, so when we reference them here or there, or if you want to go back and say, wait a minute, did they truly say what they said they did? It's all recorded. It's archived. You can view it. Um, and you can email us with anything at bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. So enough tooting our own horn. We'll get to more of that later. Let's go into week two recap, Bip. So we'll start, as always, with what we learned. So I'm going to get us kicked off here. A couple of things that I learned. First of all, Wake Forest may be the second best team in the ACC Atlantic behind Clemson. And it's partially as a credit to them, but it's also partially due to uh, how inconsistent and insecure I feel about the other teams yeah. in that Atlantic division. Florida state's proven to be a carnival porta potty of a pick <laughs> and Syracuse hasn't given me much confidence after their first two weeks. And now they have to go and play Clemson. So that's one thing I learned. Another thing I learned out on the West coast, Keaton Slovis is going to be a good one under Graham Harrell, the quarterback for USC uh, and working with this wide receiver group as a three-star. I mean, that's what's impressed me the most is the fact that, 
he really came in under the radar and was expected to be at best fourth on the depth chart. But he beat out Jack Sears and Matt Fink, causing one of them to go into the transfer portal, Jack Sears. Um, he never seemed phased once J.D. Daniels went down. So, you know, my USC pick to win the Pac-12 South was looking a little suspect when Mr. Daniels went out. But then Slovis came in and beat a ranked Stanford team, uh, ranked 23rd, and put up 45 points and really just looked cool and comfortable the whole time. So Oregon State and NC State, I found out, were the only schools, Power 5 schools, that offered Slovis. But he wanted to be a USC Trojan. He told his dad, this is what I want to do. I think that I can do it. So he could be emerging into another one of those great, under-the-radar, low-ranking guys that ends up having a pretty good career, and he's only a true freshman this year. Yeah, and that um, was that was cool to see that uh, his high school coach was Kurt Warner. Um, it's cool to see this week. I fear that that's going to be one of those stories that's going to be told throughout the season, especially if he continues yeah. to do well, and especially if USC continues to uh, uh, surprise people as well. <laughs> Yeah, um, I would say that I would put money on Slovis' story being on College Game Day, but I think it's almost a guarantee. For sure. And I think we're going to see something from Kurt Warner. Um, and, uh, you know, so, yeah, we'll go from there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also learned that Mac Brown can coach. An eight-point underdog to a South Carolina team from the SEC, five-and-a-half-point underdog at home against Miami. Uh, a Miami team, by the way, that some feel outplayed number 11 Florida a relatively young team with a true freshman quarterback, and they sit at 2-0, and Bip, and we'll talk more about them in our podcast tonight. Yeah. And then finally, the Big Ten looks pretty good so far. They may have some of the biggest positive point differentials of any conference. I mean, with a boatload of offensive points scored and very few defensive points scored, and, and again, I'll touch on that a little bit later on, but those are the things that I learned from Week 2. What's something that you learned or some things that now fill your brain about college football after two weeks. Well, Chappie, um, going into the season, I was a, a little questionable about uh, my, my first thing that I learned, but I learned that this Clemson defense can be pretty damn good. Uh, now, yeah. I, I didn't think that they were going to be short on talent, but losing as much as they did from last year, it's hard for any team to uh, recover from that. But I didn't expect uh, Texas A&M to challenge Clemson in this game, but I certainly thought that their offense would be the one thing that might keep them in should a few right. things uh, break their way. But the final was 24-10, but that's even misleading as A&M tried their damnest and succeeded in scoring with under a minute left in the game so that they could say that they weren't held to only a field goal against the Tigers. That front four uh, looks to be obviously not as good as last year, but definitely one of the best in the ACC. Isaiah Simmons and uh, the the secondary look to be in mid-season form right now. That's a fast defense. That's a scary defense. And obviously the rest of uh, the ACC is, is has been put on notice uh, given what happened against Texas A&M. I'm kind of feeling bad for Syracuse coming up this week, given how bad that they looked against Maryland last week of all teams. So um, another thing that I learned is I think that the big... And just real, real quick, I uh, not to cut you off, yeah. but I was listening to a national podcast and Somebody, and I can't remember who, uh, and that, that sounds terrible, but somebody that I respect in the podcast world said that Isaiah Simmons is the best defensive college football player right now, and I don't think I can argue with that. No, I mean, he's he's got linebacker size. He's got safety speed. He's all over the field. Got pretty decent set of hands as well. He's going to yeah. keep getting better, and he's just going – he's one of those uh, one of those guys that can just take over a game single-handedly by himself. Yeah, for sure. 
I also learned that the Big Ten West might have been one of the most overrated things coming into the season. Now, the Big Ten West was talked uh, about as the big up-and-coming, exciting new division in college football, given... um, you know, and, and how these teams will attack each other and how to be a process of attrition at the end of conference play. Uh, you know, cause you had a lot of teams like Purdue, Minnesota, Nebraska that had these up and coming coaches. They were young last year and, uh, you know, a lot was expected of them coming into the year, but Purdue, Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern, they've all looked spotty early on. The big 10 has only three non-conference losses so far this year, and they've all come in the big 10 West. The teams that were arguably, overlooked going into the season iowa and wisconsin the quote-unquote boring teams coming into this year have simply taken care of business and look like the cream of the crop cream of the crop in the west thus far this year so i'm wondering if this is going to be an all-out dogfight like everyone thought going into the year or if it's going to be much uh similar to to last year or years past to where you have the the blue bloods like iowa and wisconsin continue to uh steamroll their competition and uh, is someone going to wake up um, amongst Nebraska, Purdue, um, and to a lesser extent, Minnesota, Northwestern? How dare you, Bip? You referenced last year as Iowa and Wisconsin steamrolling. Uh, I believe the team in purple out in Evanston steamrolled through the West okay. going unblemished. So <laughs> well, you want to retract that statement, say maybe two years ago or three well, years well, ago? Well, I, and if I didn't state this, I said in previous years, years being you did, plural. You did. Okay. okay. Yeah. I just, I wanted to clarify for oh, our no. fans out there, oh, no. my Northwestern listeners who are like, Chappie, come on, don't let him get away with yeah, that. Yeah, we all know who won the Big Ten West. Anyone who, who has talked to you before, Chappie. <laughs> That's right. They they won 15 of the last 16 Big Ten games, but I digress. That's right. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, a couple other things that I, I wanted to mention, uh, a, a quick little Chappie segment here. Um, I call this good for you. Good for you, Maryland. Scored 79 points against Howard. Okay, Howard's a so-so FCS team. Then you score 63 points against number 21-ranked Syracuse, who brought in a talented defense with a pretty good front, and they're good in the secondary. So uh, hats off to you, Maryland. Also good for you, Joe Burrow and Sam Ellinger. What a classic display between two premier quarterbacks. Yes, Joe Burrow is a talent. And I was kind of hinting at that at the beginning of the year, and some people said, well, you look at his stats from last year. Last year, I get it. He was kind of had that idea of just, just tell me what my role is and tell me what I need to do to help my team. I'm a new guy. I'm a transfer. This year, Bip, he has that attitude, that look of, this is my team, I got you. And I love seeing that confidence and mm-hmm. how he just did not flinch. And credit to Sam Ellinger, too, because I think he got lost in the shuffle so much about LSU. I mean, I think College Football Nation has a huge boner for LSU right now. And um, <laughs> Sam Ellinger is kind of you know, lost in the shuffle. I think that he put up a Heisman-worthy performance. And if he continues this throughout the year and he beats Oklahoma, you can – Damn sure bet that number 11 out in Austin is going to be invited to New York along with uh, potentially Joe Burrow if Burrow keeps up his status, whether he beats Alabama or not. If he continues to put up these type of numbers, Joe Burrow and Sam Ellinger could be sitting side by side in New York out in December. So that's my good for you. My shame on you, and it seems like we're on repeat from last week, but shame, 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 Florida State. You just look disorganized, unmotivated, lethargic. Your offense starts hot but then cools faster than an omelet. They even had a receiver lining up facing the opposite way. Granted, it was a tight end, but still, how do you face the opposite way unless you're running like some sort of trick play? But no, they didn't. They shifted. He got into a a formation, so I didn't see that at all. It was kind of an embarrassment. 
you hear Willie Taggart talk, and honestly, Bet, we mentioned this before. He just doesn't seem to have like he sound like he's got any command. He sounds like a substitute teacher, like class, class. <laughs> Even in his pre- post game press conference, they asked him questions, and he sounded like, "Oh uh, crap, I didn't expect that one. I, I don't know how to answer that." I mean, right? They're zero and two, and they they need to have some others from this coaching staff and some upperclassmen step up and start to clean up. Because again, no disrespect to to Willie Taggart, but he just does not seem like a leader of this uh, program. Um, Tennessee, shame on you. You're 0-2. Back-to-back home losses versus teams that many didn't see coming. couple players have transferred. And what surprised me the most is they've been bad on defense, which is what Jeremy Pruitt's pedigree is in. He's, his strong suit is the defensive side of the ball. And that lapse in coverage when BYU completed yeah. that 45, 50-yard pass at the end to put it into uh, overtime. I mean, that's just... Yeah, there's no sorry reason to say, for that. Piss poor. Exactly. Yeah, I mean... If you're an SEC athlete and you're getting schooled by uh, a group of Mormons, no disrespect to Mormons, but come on, BYU with it, with a third and long at their own 20-yard line should not be getting into your red zone on one play right. with 13 seconds left. Play friggin' prevent, keep everything in front of you, and knock the ball down. Yep. And then finally, shame on you, Nebraska. We gave you a chance, and you just don't look ready yet. Back-to-back years where, we, where you gave a sizable lead up to your old rival and you dropped the game. Colorado, give us one more win and we'll throw a good for you your way. But way to go, Coach Mel Tucker, for beating two of Colorado's historic rivals in your first two games. So a good start for Coach Tucker, Bip. Yeah, and Colorado, I'm I'm really curious to see what what goes on with them because this looks eerily similar to last year, beating Colorado State, beating Nebraska. And but what's more encouraging in and my opinion, yeah, <laughs> what's more encouraging <laughs> for me uh, is the fact that they're doing it without otherworldly performances by LaVisca Chenault. Um, yeah. You know, they're getting the ground ground game involved. They're uh, kind of spreading the ball around a little bit. So the fact that they're able to do this without LaVisca Chenault having these monster games uh, could go a long way this year. But of course, we saw them go five and oh last year. And then, as you said, poop the bed. So. Um, right. How they how they continue the season will uh, be very curious to watch, as I don't think many many people had them finishing above, you know, uh, fifth or sixth in their uh, division coming into this year. Right, right. And we touched on it in our Pac-12 preview that this offense was going to be one that could contend, but I still think that that defense is maybe a year or two away yeah. from. Um, some some uh, serious contention, even in a relatively weaker Pac-12 South. So what surprised you this weekend, Bip, in week two? Well, what surprised me was Ohio State shutting out a very good Cincinnati team, 42 to nothing. Right. I expected the Buckeyes to win this one, but I thought this could have been one of those hard-fought battles that's at the beginning of the season um, as former Ohio State interim coach, Coach Luke uh, Fickle, had plenty of motivation in this game about wanting to give the Bearcats one of their biggest uh, victories in school history, having the history of playing against or, you know, being a part of the Ohio State uh, coaching staff, having played for Ohio State. You think you would you you would think that the Bearcats would have come uh, more prepared than what they were in this one. Justin yeah. Fields looks legit. He completed 80 percent of his passes, contributing uh, four total touchdowns in this one. And that Buckeye defense looks much improved from last year, as this is a pretty uh, legit Cincinnati offense in their own right, um, with a really talented quarterback, running back and uh, some pretty decent skill position players as well. Um what surprised me as well, you kind of touched upon this already, Tennessee losing again. Uh, yeah. BYU is a quality component, but fresh off a major upset loss at home, you thought that the Vols would 
I don't know, maybe be all over the Cougars or at least not drop you another think? game at home. Coach Pruitt right. needs to get his guys together for next week against Chattanooga or else the the rails could come off completely. And obviously they're probably going to beat Chattanooga, but he needs to get his guys on a brand new page because Tennessee follows that game up with Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Alabama to open up conference play. And the Vols could be looking at a one and six start to start this, uh, this season, Chappie. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, my my Tennessee 10 win pick is really suspect <laughs> right now. So, um, in fact, uh, the line on them winning out and uh, getting their 10 wins, the line in Vegas, I might want to put down 100 bucks on that because that could be a huge payoff if it does pay out. But um, I don't see it happening. Yeah, yet, so. you'd be like that guy that put some money on the Blues when they were in last place this year and yeah. it paid off for him. So, so maybe, well, maybe, Champy. <laughs> maybe, maybe if you want to go 50 50 with me, I'll, I'll make it worth sure. your while. <laughs> so what surprised you this uh, week, Jeffy? Well, what surprised me, uh, first of all, Cal beat Washington at Washington after a two hour weather delay. And um, I got to think back. Didn't somebody say that not once, but twice on this podcast? Bip? Oh, it was you, my friend. So I got to hand it to you, Bipster. Yes, you, my friend, called it not once, but twice. So if listeners go back to our website and check out our Pac-12 preview. Bip talked about the Bears coming up to Seattle and tripping up UW, my pick to win the Pac-12 in week two. And, I, and I, uh, I'm going to put myself to shame right now. I said that you were crazy. I thought that it would never happen. I thought that maybe later in the season it could be a trap game. But in week two, Washington's going to be ready, and they would probably roll that putrid offense from Cal. Uh, but no, Cal actually put on the offensive performance in the third quarter. They scored 14 points. That was uncharacteristically Cal as quarterback Chase Garbers and running back Marshall Dancy got the job done against the Husky defense um, and then moved the ball methodically in the final two minutes that resulted in a game-winning field goal by Greg Thomas. So way to go, Cal. But more importantly, way to go, Bip. Yeah, I mean, you, you shoot enough bullets at a target, you're bound to hit a bullseye eventually. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Cal even surprised me. I thought after week one when how impressive Jacob Eason in this passing game were for Washington. That was one of the things that I kind of hung my hat on in regards to thinking that Cal might pull the upset in week two um, was the fact that Cal's defensive backs, uh, I thought maybe had a chance to shut them down. I was a little wearier heading into week two after the week one performance that Washington put up, but man, they, what a turnaround. Uh, they held Jacob Eason to 162 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, only 5.4 yards per attempt, and that defense looks nasty for Cal. Uh, Chris Brown was was definitely solid in this one, and you touched upon Marcel Dancy being that kind of home run threat. So Cal's not going to win any games with their offense this year, but that defense should keep them in just about every game this year, uh, especially how impressive they looked against Washington. Evan Weaver had 18 tackles, two tackles for loss. Uh, incredible overall performance by the, uh, by the Golden Bears, Chappie. Yeah, and um, you know they they have to play at Oregon on October fifth, but uh, I'm not going to call it yet. <clears throat> but if they steal that win at a you know an Oregon team that I'm still not sold on, right? You're looking at the front runners for the Pac-12 North because the rest of their schedule they have to play at Utah, but they're from the South. They get Washington State at home, they get USC at home, they have to play at Stanford. But um, this could be a Cal team that is going to put themselves in a position in their conference uh, that might be better than what we imagined. And, uh, and, and as know, that, that's 
the trend so far. As you as you've mentioned several times, and as we saw against Auburn, if you can get Oregon in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, within a score or so, that Oregon team doesn't seem to be able to be the best closers under Mario Cristobal or under Justin right. Herbert. So interesting exactly. to see as That's we get closer point. to that one. Yeah, and something else that surprised me is Wisconsin, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, but in their first two weeks, they've outscored their opponents 110 to zero. Um, now, I didn't question that they'd win, but I didn't think that the Badgers would win so convincingly against a what I thought was going to be a pretty respectable USF team, and then a Central Michigan team that at least was going to be better than zero points on the on the offensive scoreboard. Fire up chips, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. <laughs> Someday. Um, they looked, you know, Wisconsin looked efficient on offense. They looked swarming on defense. And I think most of us, yes, I include us, need to rethink our view of the Big Ten West. Like you mentioned, the Badgers still get Northwestern and Iowa in Madison. And they seem to be the West front runner for Indy as I see it right now, Bip. So that was a little bit of a surprise. Again, not that Wisconsin won, but how convincingly they won. They are playing as one of the more dominant teams in the Big Ten right now. And a Big Ten team that nobody's talking about, really. Right. Everybody's well, talking about Maryland and Ohio State, but here's Wisconsin, who's in the top 15, uh, but Maryland's getting more press and pub than, than the Badgers are. Yeah, well, and not only do they get those two teams that you mentioned at home, but they get Michigan coming to town uh, this upcoming week as well. And uh, this upcoming week, Michigan, or, a team who benefits from a, an army team that doesn't have a field goal kicker. Yeah. That yeah. Michigan yeah. Team. Right. And, and so if they, if they are to, if they win that game, then that gives them a whole new level of confidence as well yeah. uh, as they head into big 10 West play after that. So um, I'm with you. This, this Wisconsin team is looking uh, very, very tough. Uh, that defense seems like it's back and that offense is looking like they're not missing any of those vaunted offensive lineman that uh, graduated and, and headed to the NFL draft last year. Yep. Just turn it out and, and replug, man. Yeah. So what questions do you have going into uh, week three, Bip? I'll start with mine. Sure. Um, my question is, are Big Ten teams really this good? So stay, staying on the Big Ten topic, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Maryland are obliterating their opponents and they're playing defense too. You can also throw Michigan State in there who beat a good Western team this weekend. Three teams in the Big Ten have 110 points or more in two games. Eight teams average 13 points or less given up on defense in two games. Four of those eight teams average single-digit yields. The conference will get some good non-conference tests this week. Purdue hosts TCU. Maryland goes to Temple. Penn State hosts rival Pitt. And Michigan State welcomes Arizona State. And then there's the Iowa-Iowa State battle for the Cy-Hawk Trophy. So let's see how they come out of week three. If they can get three of those four games as wins, the conference will have some heavy steam going into October, Bip. So that's the question that I have is, is the Big Ten as good as they look in the first two weeks, or are we going to see a taper off and, you know, same as usual, not quite to the level of SEC play yet? Yeah, and and for that, I, I think that I think it's definitely going to be a mix. I mean, Penn State, they played Idaho and Buffalo, um, <laughs> and you touched upon Wisconsin's opponents already. Um, so... And and I, th I think the same could be said about um, Ohio State to a lesser extent, but I, I think that I think that we're going to see, like you like you mentioned, the definite separation. I'm most curious about Maryland. Now they have mm -hmm. uh, some quick hitting, playmaking, athletic threats on offense. That that offense looks like it's going to be humming. But when they go against a a good offense, and I'm not quite putting Syracuse in that category yet. 
What does that defense no. look like? That's what I'm most interested in because I think the offense yep. they have figured out, but defensively when they're hitting the mouth by a team, um, what do they look like and how do they stand up to that? Yep, absolutely. And, and that's my question too. So I'm really intrigued and I hope both teams are undefeated when they play in two weeks, but Friday night game, Penn State and Maryland, yeah. um, two very potent offenses. Uh, I'm going to put my money more on Penn State's defense than Maryland's defense. So if you ask me today, I'm going to say Penn State's going to get my favorite in that game, but um, that'll still be a fun battle to watch as we sit here after uh, week two. And that should be so, a nice matchup moving forward, too, not only on the gridiron, but recruiting-wise, Mike Loxley against James yeah. Franklin. I could see a, a nice rivalry uh, developing between those two squads, assuming that one of the two doesn't fall off in the near future. Yep, I can, I can easily see Coach Franklin spouting off something and then coach Loxley kind of subtly retorting, <laughs> but not backing down. And that would, that would, that'll be good. Uh, Twitter feed. Material oh yeah, for week. sure. So, so who's your bips VIP in week two, BIP? Well, um, your VIP real, real quick, uh, uh, question that I had going into, um, this week, uh, Chappie is, um, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. no, no, <laughs> you're good. Um, <laughs> Real quickly, the the Michigan and their speed and space offense uh, doesn't seem to be fighting much <laughs> space for their speed. Uh, I mean, Middle Tennessee right. State and Army are are a lot better than what casual fans would give them credit for. But still, this offense is sloppy. It's inconsistent. Has me scratching yeah. my head at the play calling. I mean, Jack, Zach Charbonnet looks impressive, but thirty three carries for a hundred yards sounds more like a Michigan offense under the under Harbaugh the last four years and not this overhyped Josh Gaddis offense that people were really excited about. Lots of people are talking about Dylan McCaffrey replacing old Butterhand Shea Patterson. Should that happen uh, considering the, the sloppy play thus far in the season? I mean, they have two weeks to get ready for Wisconsin, so it'll be interesting to see how, how Harbaugh handles this. McCaffrey would be a curveball to throw at the Badgers, but changing quarterbacks during their bye and heading into a very tough game at Camp Randall is a rip, risky proposition. Um, so if Patterson does get the start, which I assume he will, what kind of leash, uh, short leash does he maybe have against the Badgers, especially if they come out swinging like they have in the first two weeks? And then also, what Florida ACC team falls further this year, Florida State or Miami? Both start 0-2, and yeah. while uh, each of their first losses can be explained to their respective opponents, neither North Carolina and especially Louisiana Monroe was expected to win when Ugh. the season started. So which team rebounds faster, or do either teams rebound this year? And does Florida State look like uh, they might be um, at, sitting at home come bowl season for the second season in a row? Uh, curious to see what, what comes about with that. And Bip, I'm sorry. And I will, I will go out there and say I would, I would put my money where my mouth is and um, try an extra point. A college place kicker, I don't care if you're on scholarship or if you're the fourth-team walk-on, there's no excuse to miss an extra point. Yes. You are – 17 yards away, straight on. You've got, what, 25 feet on either side. Um, you damn well better hit that extra point. I, I mean, <laughs> field goals are understandable pressure situation, but after you just score, it's not like the pressure's on. All you got to do, your, your adrenaline's pumping. You just go out there, and as long as you get a good snap and a good hold, which those damn well better be good too, you put it between the pipes. So I'm <laughs> sorry, Mr. Weeks, for you, Ellen Monroe. You you lost it for your team. You lost it for me, Gunner. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's a question I have: is how the f do you miss an extra point in college? Yeah. Nick Saban has to be sitting at home watching that game, going, "How the hell does this happen?" <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I'm not the only yeah. one. 
Um, and uh, Biff, let's lay off Michigan a little bit. I have a, a friend who picked Michigan to win the Big Ten and for Shea Patterson to be invited to the Heisman Trophy ceremony <laughs> in New York. So let's 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 keep that under wraps. A little <laughs> sure, bit here. Shappy. For my my friend, yes, your friend, <laughs> Mr. Snurl. Um, um, so <laughs> right. so getting to uh, Bip's Vip, I'm going to go with Joe Burrow, and this is the obvious one in the game of the Good week. Call. Burrow put himself, in my opinion, like you already mentioned, in the front seat of the Heisman race. Going up against a talented, albeit young, secondary, Burrow was in control from the very beginning, finished the game completing almost 80% of his passes for 471 yards, four touchdowns en route to a 45-38 victory over Texas, and putting the SEC, uh, the rest of the SEC on notice that the Tigers will be a tough out offensively this year to combine with that defense that everyone knew that they had going into the year. That third down, and I think it was third and, and 17, uh, pass yeah. that led to the their final score was just an unbelievable, um, you know, show of grit and, and a testament to it was pressure. Too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it wasn't like he had all day. I mean, pressure in his face, and he yep. he hit him. Yep, and and so that shows the the kind of uh, competitor that Joe Burrow is, and how talented he has become. How much he's progressed from last year to this year, Chappy. Yeah, and and you know. I'm not Mr. College Jersey guy, but if I was, if I had the disposable income to just go and buy jerseys whenever I want to, I'm getting a Joe sure. Burrow jersey. I I officially became a Joe Burrow fan this weekend, and I always liked him. Mm-hmm. But Macaulay Culkin Jr. Um, <laughs> just made me um, a bigger fan because of his moxie and the way that he did not blink right. against a Texas defense in Austin on prime time when people were, you know basically questioning his ability to be a quarterback in this new Joe Brady pass happy system. Everybody said, well, don't you need a throwing quarterback? Well, Joe Burrow proved he is a throwing quarterback yeah. now. So how about you, Chappie? Who is uh, Chappie's champion this week? Well, I'm going to give it to, and I'm going to eat some crow here. I'm going to give it to Mike Loxley in Maryland. So a lot of skeptics, myself included, in fact, myself, maybe one of the bigger ones, um, didn't believe him and his ability to coach and, and, bring Maryland to any sort of success this year. His history as a coach, his record and his transgressions, some offseason dealings regarding his son this year, the injury to one of his top playmakers in offense, Jay Sean Jones. He had all this adversity and all these things that are kind of weighing him down going in, but he's had his beloved Terps firing right out of the gate and now has a chance to establish that they are a good team with a tough road game against a pretty good Temple squad and a pretty good uh, new head coach in Rod Carey. So, if he can go on the road and beat Temple, um, a, a team that is, uh, you know, a group of five that's moving in the right direction, if he can beat the Owls by 24 or more this weekend, I officially will be convinced that this guy is in good position to do some good things this time around, um, contrary to what he did when he was the interim coach and took over at Maryland his first time, and then when he was at New Mexico. Um, you know, we talked about his 3-31 and 31 record going into this season, but clearly these two victories – in my mind, are erasing most of that previous record. So if he can go out and dismantle the Owls, um, then he will uh, continue to be my Chappie's champion. So I hope for his sake that he does, because I really do like the guy, and, and I, I wish him well, um, and I hope he makes a believer out of it. Yeah, him. he's doing in Maryland what everyone in Coral Gables had hoped Manny Diaz would do for the Hurricanes, for sure. Right, exactly. All right, Bip, so let's move on from Week 2 and get into Week 3 yes, and sir. preview the big games this week and give the listeners our picks. So um, I'm going to start off Friday night. One of the most intriguing games to me, North Carolina getting three points playing at Wake Forest. So North Carolina 2-0, um, 
considered to be, you know, more impressive wins against South Carolina and SEC team and Miami, who was picked by some uh, to win the Atlantic division of the ACC um, going against Wake Forest. So this is not a conference game, even though they're both ACC teams, but it's a rivalry that needed to resume. And that's where both uh, programs and athletic directors said, let's schedule this game and have it not be an official conference game. So kind of an interesting side note. Now, neither... In the last 14 contests, neither team, North Carolina or Wake Forest, has won more than two in a row. So that's pretty considerable. This is a, a real good back-and-forth affair, and that's one of the reasons why this is going to be a game that I'm going to make sure that I uh, set to watch on Friday night. So looking at North Carolina, they've got freshman Sam Howell, who's led his team to uh, consecutive back-to-back fourth-quarter game-winning drives in his infant career. He's completing 65% of his passes for 519 yards, four touchdowns and zero interceptions, which is pretty remarkable when you consider that South Carolina under Will Muschamp always plays pretty good defense. And Miami is known for their defense and the whole turnover change, nausea, mm-hmm. um, turn, turnover chain, but um, zero interceptions. So that's pretty remarkable. His confidence continues to grow and his teammates at the skill positions around him certainly don't lack for confidence, especially after shutting up the usually boisterous Miami Hurricanes. His receivers are talented and athletic headlined by Diami Brown and Daz Newsom. He also has three good running backs to share the load offensively, and his offensive line is playing better to start this season than they did really, in my opinion, all last year. On the other side for Wake Forest is Jamie Newman, not Sam Hartman, um, who's completed 74% of his passes for 713 yards, six touchdowns, zero interceptions. So again, I'm going to give this guy his due. Uh, He's playing outstanding. He just looks so comfortable at quarterback, Bip, and looks like he's watching the game in slow motion. So when he's going through his reads, it's almost like the defense slows down. And once he delivers the ball, it picks back up again. So it's kind of like those huddle videos that you see or the highlights where they'll slow it down and then they'll pick it back up in full speed. That's what it looks like when Jamie Newman's playing quarterback. He's got a couple good receivers in Scotty Washington and Sage Surratt, along with a good tight end in Jack Frudenthal. My question is their run game. Cade Carney is questionable for this game. And even if he goes, he won't be at full capacity, which he would need to be against a pretty good UNC defense. His uh, replacements, Christian Beal Smith and freshman Kenneth Walker, have not hit the ground by storm yet. And this is a pretty aggressive Carolina defense that's actually better in pass defense where they'll need to be against Wake Forest's uh, high-octane offense. Now, Wake is one of the quieter good teams in the Power Five. Even though the Heels are getting a lot of attention as a 2-0 team, and some of their players have even chirped about deserving to be ranked as high as 12th in the country. Um, one of their guys, I can't remember who it was, but said, well, we beat Miami, who was ranked or who who almost beat an 11th ranked Florida team. So we should be right behind Florida at number 12. Oh, what, can't say I agree with you, that. You but, beat uh, winless Miami. Is that the team that you beat? Winless <laughs> Miami? Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, still. Um, you know, North Carolina's defense is a, or I'm sorry, uh, Wake Forest's defense is a bit of a liability as they're allowing 458 yards per game, mostly through the air. And remember, they played a run oriented rice team last week. So I know that Utah State put up about 600 and some yards on total offense. Um, but Rice also uh, was moving the ball somewhat effectively against them, even though they, the Deeks beat them by three or four scores. Now, this is such an intriguing early game in the ACC season, even though it won't count in their conference record. And my question is, should the winner be ranked? UNC, if they improve to 3-0, will have wins over an SEC team, an ACC Miami team who was ranked number 16 to start the year, and now a Wake Forest team who's had two pretty impressive games to start the season. 
if Wake wins, that means that they'll have beaten a pretty good Utah State team who won 11 games last year and a Rice team that played Army about as tough as uh, top 10 Michigan did. And then they would have this win over uh, previously 2-0 North Carolina. So I'm going to lobby that the winner of this game should crack the top 25, even if it's at the edge at number 25. Um, but all said, I'm going to take the Tar Heels and, with the points and to get the win. I think it'll be a bit of a shootout, but give me the Tar Heels 41-31, even though they are underdogs by three points. Yeah, uh, I have pretty similar sentiments to you, Chappie. Jamie Newman, in my opinion, has been the best uh, quarterback in the ACC after two games. Yep. Now, honestly, Trevor, or uh, obviously Trevor Lawrence still has some time to rev up the old Clemson offense and, and surpass that. But Jamie Newman's been incredibly uh, impressive to me. This defense. And can I speak on that real yeah. quick? Um, stop saying how Trevor Lawrence has two touchdowns and three interceptions and he's overhyped and he's, you know, maybe Kelly Bryant should be the quarterback this year. <laughs> Dude, it's two games and he went against Texas A&M and Georgia Tech, who is not exactly a slouch. It was in hostile territory and it's game one. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to be just fine and I would still take him as my quarterback on my team over anybody else in college football. Yeah, and let's remember what he did in uh, conference play all of last year to where he was, uh, you know, I don't I don't know the exact um, numbers, but I'm sure it was pretty close to about 30 to 4 touchdown interception ratio um, throughout. Uh, oh, and then he played pretty well in the playoffs too. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't see his semifinal game. Uh, block that one right, out. Yeah, they got, yeah, they got, they got funny. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Um, so the, the defense for wake forest is, is, has definitely been sketchy this year, but it's just good enough to get them by with how explosive this offense is, um, for North Carolina, Sam Howell has been efficient and mistake free, which is most important for this, uh, type of Mac Brown led team. And they seem to have found a running back in Javante Williams, uh, who's looked pretty impressive. Yeah. Look out for miles Wolfolk on defense. He's fourth on the team in tackles already has two interceptions. Uh, we'll see if he can affect that Wake Forest offense, get to Jamie Newman um, yeah, through the air or or maybe getting in the backfield. I see this one as a shootout and one of the most entertaining, entertaining games of the week. I have Wake in this one, 43, North Carolina 37, uh, in what I, what, sure. I, what I think should be a, a really exciting game. And a shout-out to uh, my friend Anthony Rignato, who runs the, uh, uh, the Heel Tough blog on Twitter, uh, did a podcast or two with him this off season and uh, he's ecstatic for his Tar Heels. So uh, hopefully for his sake, UNC comes out, but uh, hopefully for my boy, Sam Hartman, um, things turn out in favor. Of the right. Weeks. So give us, uh, give us your pick uh, for game one for you in week three. Man. Well, uh, first game that I'm going to uh, go through is Arizona state at Michigan state. And both teams come into this one at two and Oh, but neither team has really played uh, that strong of an opponent. Um, going into this one. Now, Michigan State has a huge spread going into this one. I see it right now at 13 and a half point favorites, um, which I'm a little scratching my head on that, and I'll get to that in a minute. Arizona State's only allowed seven points in each of their two games, uh, while Michigan State's allowed seven against Tulsa and 17 against Western Michigan. But the Broncos scored a touchdown with 24 seconds left after the after MSU put up 51 points on them. So by and large, both defenses have been highly effective. So I don't see the spread getting to 13 and a half points for either team. Um, Jaden Daniels for Arizona state's been impressive as a true freshman. Uh, he's completed 62% of his passes for 550 yards, four total touchdowns, but more importantly, no turnovers, similar to Sam Howell. 
but this will be his toughest test of the season um, as yeah. this nasty Michigan State front seven, especially that front four, is going to get after him early and often. The Michigan State defense is still at a net negative six rushing yards allowed on the season due to that Tulsa game. So Eno Benjamin has 297 yards from scrimmage this year, but is only averaging 3.7 yards per carry. He figures to probably continue yeah. to find little rushing room in this one. But if he continue to be a weapon in the passing game, that could be a great way to neutralize this Spartan front four. If they can get him out in space, run some screen passes, see how um, they can maybe uh, not allow the the Michigan State front four to just pin their ears back in this one. The bigger playmaking threat for the Sun Devils so far this year has been re- receiver Brandon Ayuk, who's averaged almost 30 yards per catch. Outside of those two, Frank Darby and um, or, I'm sorry, outside of those two and Frank Darby, Arizona State hasn't had much offensive production. So if the Spartan defense can keep them in check and force Daniels to find his third, fourth options, that should go a long way for MSU in this one. The offensive line will also need to be on its game as the Spartans have six guys with multiple tackles for loss so far this year, including week one's defensive de- uh, defensive player of the week, Kenny Willekes, who just had a monster week against Tulsa in their opener. Um, Michigan State, uh, going over to them, their offense was kind of pedestrian against Tulsa, but really came alive against Western Michigan. And most importantly for the Spartans, they may have found a running game with Elijah Collins. Collins gained 192 yards and averaged 11.3 yards per carry last week. Um, Daryl Stewart and Cody White have had good games catching the ball. And Brian Lewerke looks back to his uh, 2017, early 2018 form. So this will be a good test for the MSU offense. The Sun Devils have limited their opponents to 2.6 yards per carry and only 171 yards per uh, game passing. Kobe Williams has three passes defended already, and he and Chase Lucas might make it tough for Lewerke to air it out. Merlin Robertson's picked up where he left off last year, tackling everything in his path, and Kalen Curse thomas leads ASU with three and a half tackles for loss. He could find himself in the Spartan backfield a time or two with how that offensive line has looked at times this year. I think this is going to be a defensive struggle for each team. I think the Spartans learn from last year, and I think they take the home field advantage with a hard-fought victory to prepare to, to prepare them for an even tougher defense of Northwestern next week. But I like this one much closer than what the spread suggests. I like uh, Michigan State 24, Arizona State 20. Okay, so Arizona State beating the spread because they're they're uh, 13 point, 13 and a half point underdogs right. at this point yes. right now. So, um yeah, so last year was like a bad vacation for the Spartans uh, and the start of what was a disappointing season. So D'Antonio, Lewerke, and company want to wash that taste out the mouth uh, this season. And they get a 4 p.m. start, which I think is actually more to Arizona State's advantage. If I'm Michigan State's uh, athletic director, I'm pushing for a noon start. Even you know if you, if you don't get the Fox telecast, you put it on BTN because Arizona State playing at what seems like 9 o'clock their time um, is going to be a bigger advantage for the Spartans. But I think ultimately it's not going to make too much of a difference. So ASU has seemed to have some not-so-convincing, meh, victories. Um, you know, they beat Kent State 30-7, yeah. to which was okay. But then they only beat Sacramento State, an FCS team, at home 19-7. to So that's kind of reminiscent to what Northwestern did last year. You, you kind of squeak by offensively, but you play great defense, and you get the job done. And I know Herm Edwards, Ed, Edwards will take it. Like Coach Fitzgerald does, a win is a win. You touched on Brandon Ayuk. In fact, I think you looked at my notes here, averaging nearly 30 <laughs> yards per reception on only eight catches, but only one touchdown. So if you're Arizona State, you want to get him in the end zone more frequently. 
Uh, Brian Lewerke from Michigan State is completing 65% of his passes for 500 yards, and more importantly, a 4-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio. And Daryl Stewart is one of the more underrated wide receivers in the Big Ten right now. He's their leader, which sucks for me because I have Cody White on my fantasy team, but it's good for <laughs> MSU that Stewart is you know, stepping up. The offense started to come on last week against a good Western team, a Western Michigan team that probably will win the MAC. And that defense is just amazing. So have fun, freshman Jaden Daniels. Let me introduce you to Mr. Willikis, the brothers Panashuk, and Mr. Williams. Oh, and some of his friends may drop by uninvited too. So I'm going to say Spartion. MSU wins 34 to 10, 24 point victory wow. over the Sun Devils. This hmm. year. Yeah, I think that I think that they're going to uh, emerge as you know people looking and saying, okay, they're going to be back, and that's going to set up for a good game in Evanston next week, which uh, I'll be there for. So, um. All right, well, give us give us game two for week three, Bip. Who else do you have your eye on? What what other matchup? Okay, well, I'm going to go with uh, the Stanford Cardinal against the UCF um, Golden Knights. Okay. And Stanford comes into this one as seven-point underdogs traveling cross-country to UCF. And Stanford looked really good through the first quarter of that USC game. They were up 14-3. Then they recovered a fumble kickoff by USC. The rest of the game was kind of defined by the offensive, uh, by the offense struggling in the red zone, including two field goals, one missed field goal, one blocked field goal, and they kind of continued to um, struggle moving the moving the ball down the field for the majority of the second half. Stanford should have KJ Costello back for this one, and possibly Walker Little, which will definitely help that offense. Um, Cameron Scarlett's been about as good as I thought he would. Uh, going into this year, which is to say he's solid, not spectacular. He's averaging 4.6 yards per carry while being an asset in the passing game, but the Stanford rushing attack still isn't the weapon that it's been in the past. Um, Central Florida has only allowed 141 rushing yards in two games this year. Granted, it's against Florida A&M and Florida Atlantic, but Florida Atlantic's got a pretty decent offense this year, um, and the Stanford offensive line will need to perform more like they did against Northwestern than they did against USC when the, the uh, Trojans register 10 tackles for loss um, or else the, the Cardinal are going to be in trouble in this one. Maybe more importantly is the passing game for the Cardinal. With Costello expected back, he'll need to be on his game as the Knights have allowed only an average of 135 passing yards per game. And Richie Grant and Neville Clark won't make it easy for Costello on this one. One of the Cardinal uh, wide receivers has to step up mm-hmm. in this one as it's clear that Colby Parkinson is being locked in on, especially by Davis Mills should Costello miss this one. Connor Weddington can catch a good volume of passes, but they need someone like Osiris St. Brown or Semi Fajoko to become that deep threat, the, the dangerous receiver that can threaten the opposing secondary as um, no one has really done much outside of Weddington and Parkinson in this passing game. For UCF, can a competent quarterback please come forward? I mean, what a drop-off from what Mackenzie Milton provided compared to what uh, Brandon Winbush and uh, Gabriel have provided so far. Gabriel completed under 37% of his passes against FAU, which is embarrassing, and just won't get the job done against Stanford. And they still scored 48 I- points. I know, which is which leads me to my next uh, few points. At running back, they provide one of the best one-two punches in the in the country, and Greg McRae and Adrian Killens yeah. and each are a danger to take it to the house on any given touch. Gabriel Davis is a true threat at wide receiver, but no one seems to be able to get these playmakers the ball in space with that uh, poor quarterback play and the the inaccuracy that's plagued them all season so far. Making matters tougher for the UCF quarterbacks is the fact that they go up against one of the. Uh, 
best defensive backs in the entire country, Paulson Adebo, who already has four passes defended and one interception. Oh, Adebo also leads the Cardinal in tackles, so um, he's going to be someone to keep an eye on for sure, as well as Casey uh, Tuhill, who has impressed early so far this year, three and a half tackles for loss, two sacks for uh, Stanford. The Stanford secondary was dissected by Caden Slovis, which you touched upon earlier already, Chappie. And while their uh, run has been solid, they were gashed for three touchdowns on the ground against USC. So getting Costello back is definitely a plus for Stanford, and they won't have near as tough a passing attack from UCF as they did USC. But I think the cross-country trip to UCF plays against them. And until they can come up with a difference maker in the passing game, not named Parkinson, or develop a more effective rushing attack, I don't like them going against any high-scoring offense. I think UCF struggles to pass the ball again, but musters enough on the ground. I see them winning this one and barely beating the spread. 28-20 UCF in this game. Ooh, very, very close to what my pick is, Bip. Um, couple of thoughts okay. there. Um, it's remarkable that a five-star quarterback like Hunter Johnson completes 35% of his passes, no touchdowns, um, throws a pick and fumbles into the end zone, which lost the spread in that game. For Northwestern, mm-hmm. but a two-star quarterback like Keaton Slovis basically is playing uh, Sandlot football against the the Cardinal and their outstanding defense, according to Brock Heward and the uh, Northwestern game telecast. It was just raving about how good Stanford's defense was. Um, right, and uh, yeah, that that might not bode well for your Wildcats there, Chappie, at uh, quarterback considering Green's gone for the season. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about that when we get to our Notre sure. Dame and our Northwestern picks at the end here. So, okay. yeah, to touch on what you you mentioned, UCF is having some quarterback schizophrenia. Week one, it was Brandon Wimbush, and they scored 62 points. Week two, the starter was Dylan Gabriel, and they scored 48. This week, Daryl Mack has been upgraded to probable, and rumors are that he may trot out there against the Cardinals. So for UCF to possibly start or play predominantly their third different quarterback in three weeks. That doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in me as they go throughout the rest of the season. So I'm not sold on Stanford's offense and their quarterback play. If Costello can play healthy, if he's even 90%, they could knock off the Knights. But I think with you, the long trip and the lively bounce house atmosphere that uh, you'll see at um, TD Bright House Stadium in Orlando is going to be the difference. And UCF just has too much speed on offense. And why are we not hearing more about Adrian Killens? I mean, you hear about Mackenzie Milton's injury. Then you hear about Brandon Wimbush, who really hasn't proven himself yet at UCF. You hear about uh, Gabriel Davis for good reasons. You hear about Greg McRae, but Adrian Killens is the guy on that team that scares me the most. And if you don't believe me, go back to two years ago when they played USF and USF uh, took the lead late in the game. They kick off to Adrian Killens when they shouldn't have. And he's, scorched it to the house um, in like three seconds flat going a hundred yards. So that mm-hmm. play alone makes me always fearful of Adrian Killens, number nine for UCF. So I think that Stanford beats the seven and a half point spread, but they lose in a close one. UCF, I'm going 27, 21 in this one. Bip. Okay. Um, well, Chappie, who's your next game that you got coming up? All right. Well, I'm going to go to uh, Bloomington, Indiana, where the number six Ohio State Buckeyes are 16 point favorites against the Indiana Hoosiers. So what I know about Ohio State, J.K. Dobbins has been running through, over, around and by people in the first two games. He has looked like a Doak Walker uh, winner at running back so far. If I had to give the award, it'd be the number two for Ohio State. Justin Fields, our quarterback, has proven so far that he fits real nicely in that offense and that Ryan Day, so far, can plug and play. Oh, and he can coach, too. 
Um, it wasn't all Urban Meyer. This Coach Day has is, is got something going in Columbus. The Buckeyes are spreading the ball around and looking real comfortable doing it, but this is going to be their first road test, and it ain't Rutgers or Illinois. Sorry, fan bases. Um, <laughs> I've been most impressed, though not surprised, at OSU's defense. They're flat out flying to the football, and guys like Chase Young, Tough Borland, and practically everyone in that deep secondary is stepping up and playing well. Uh, Ohio State's only given up about t- 10 points per game. And like I mentioned earlier in the year, uh, my uh, Big Ten assistant coach of the year is Greg Madison. And I think you agreed with me on that one. And it shows that his influence has definitely made this Ohio State defense much, much better than they were last year. Right. And I think that they got some um, hyperbolic uh, criticism last year. I think it was a bit exaggerated. They weren't as bad as everybody said. You know, everybody says, well, for Ohio State standards, but still, their numbers weren't terrible. They were about mid level uh, in college football last year. Now, let's turn it over to Indiana. They've lost 24 straight in this series, but they played the Buckeyes close throughout uh, in each of the games since 2014. So they lost by 15, 7, 21, 28, and 23. Now, I know you think of that and you're like, okay, Four of those five are double-digit losses, but most of those were um, they played close through three quarters, and they they seemed lopsided at the end, but they were uh, right there neck and neck with them in the first half and midway through the third quarter. Um, and they they've been able to put up points too against the Buckeyes, so it wasn't that they won a close ten, you know, nothing game, or they won, or I'm sorry, they lost like uh, twenty-one to ten or something like that. They were putting up double digits against uh, you know some pretty potent offensive uh, teams for the Buckeyes and defensive. Um, you know, squads that they face. So IU averages as many points per game as the Buckeyes do. They both put up 43 points a game and are only allowing 12 points a game while OSU yields 10. Granted, IU's schedule has been softer, but their number, but numbers are numbers and lofty numbers are still relatively impressive. I tell you something though, Bip, IU is not scared. Wide receiver Watt Fillior says, we came here to beat, uh, we came here to IU to beat teams like Ohio State, not just to play them. Quarterback Michael Penix says, they're, quote, just another team. Okay, they're not just another team, but I don't <laughs> believe that IU is just another victim either, Bip. <coughs> um, excuse me. Michael Penix, their quarterback, is going to need to do more with his feet. But if he can puncture that secondary and get to the psyche a little, this could stretch into a game that goes down to the wire. <coughs> excuse me. I think this will come down to IU's running game. <clears throat> if Hoosier Stevie Scott and Michael Penix, their quarterback, can tag team the same way that Illinois did when Juice Williams and Richard Mendenhall beat number one Ohio State back in 2008 when Ohio State was ranked number one and they seemed unstoppable. I think if you can get that one-two punch out of Indiana's backfield, it could keep them in the game for a long time. I'm also curious to see if freshman Samson James, who snubbed the Buckeyes at the last minute in recruiting on signing day, the second signing day, has a coming out party against the Buckeyes. He's been quiet and ill-effective thus far this season, but it's still early. Still, the Buckeyes are more mentally prepared for all that this game can dish, uh, more so than the Hoosiers are, but I truly believe Indiana is a good team this year, and when all is said and done, they'll prove that this Big Ten East is a legit and premier division. I'm taking OSU 42-35, but in overtime, Bip. I think it's going to go to extra frames. Um, Not quite the upset, but fans at the beautifully renovated Memorial Stadium in Bloomington, Indiana, funded mostly by John Mellencamp, will be treated, my man. So, yeah, I see Ohio State winning 42-35, but uh, in overtime and in in a close fashion and going to give the Buckeye fans a reason to sweat. Yep, and I think that 
obviously Indiana hasn't played anyone of note yet, but that passing attack under Michael Penix looks like impressive so far. He brings an exciting yeah. dual threat to this offense. And our guy Peyton Ramsey is also 13 to 14 so far this year. So should injury All spell right. or something along those lines, they have a capable backup as well. Donovan right. Hale, Nick Westbrook, and Peyton Hendershot give them three wide receivers that could produce against this very talented Buckeye defense. I really like Stevie Scott in that running game. This game being in Indiana allows them to stay closer than what people might think. I think Ohio State pulls away uh, in this game at some point, but I like the Hoosiers to keep it around 10 points by the end of the game. I like Ohio State 41, Indiana 30, but again, I th- I'm going to take the uh, the points with Indiana on this one and say that they um, are they, that they don't fall victim to that uh, 15 point spread that uh, Ohio State's given so far. Yep. Well, we'll stay in the Big Ten, and I'm going to go to my next game and talk about the Cyhawk Trophy, where College Game Day is going to be in Ames, Iowa, number 19, yeah. Iowa, taking on currently unranked Iowa State, who dropped out after a uh, a poorer performance in Week One against an FCS Northern Iowa. So, like I mentioned, Game Day is there for the first time ever in Ames. Fans are ecstatic, and it just adds to the flavor for this rivalry. Yeah. One of the more underrated rivalries in college football, I might add. I wonder, though, if that might be too much excitement for an ISU fan base that still hasn't been poised for such greatness like many feel they are this year. Um, now, Iowa fans don't get caught up in ISU's near trip up against Northern Iowa, and Iowa State fans shouldn't underestimate the Hawkeyes' quote, loftier ranking, uh, claiming that they only beat a MAC team and the worst team in the Big Ten in Rutgers. I like quarterback Nate Stanley for Iowa and his receivers against that ISU secondary more than I like the Hawkeye running backs and run game against that uh, Iowa State front seven. I expect offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz to give his three-year starting quarterback the chance to showcase his arm and his passing IQ and try to beat the Cyclones through the air. For Iowa State, they're going to need Brock Purdy to throw for 350-plus and take advantage of a thin Iowa secondary that's experienced some injuries. I think that trying to run against that front seven especially with some younger guys and um, Kenny Nwangu has been banged up a little bit. So you're relying on a couple of freshmen, Jareel Brock um, and uh, a couple other guys that have been in the mix. Uh, and I know that there's crony as well. And, and Crony's going to be the guy who's going to get the majority of the carries, but uh, that's a good Phil Parker defense that they're going against. Iowa has uh, given up, I think 10 points all season. They shut out Rutgers. Um, now, Maybe not to the magnitude of an LSU, Texas, Burrow, Ellinger showdown, but I see Stanley and Purdy being the stars of this game for their respective offenses and stretching their opponents' respective defenses just a bit, slinging it out, airing it out a bit. So I think this is going to be a little bit more of a shootout than maybe uh, some might be expecting, considering that both teams come in with good defenses. Both coaches are kind of the roll up your sleeves. We want to pound you as much as we can. Still, in honor of my friend Jeffrey the Greek, I'm going to take his word this time and go out on a limb and go with the Hawkeyes late in the fourth quarter, getting an important defensive stop and keeping the Cyclones just short of victory. So I'm going to take Iowa to win 31-27. They get Cyhawk Trophy number five in a row, and um, you know they they cover their two-and-a-half-point uh, spread and beat the Cyclones by four. Okay. Well, my thoughts on this one, Iowa hasn't had the best of opponents, like you mentioned, but their defenses look like a typical stingy Iowa defense, and I expected them to limit Rutgers through the air because who hasn't, but I was impressed at how they were, how they limited Isaiah Pacheco uh, from running free. Um, Iowa's offense has exceeded my expectations this year as Nathan Stanley, Mackay Sargent, and Torin Young have all been extremely efficient and effective, while Smith-Marset presents a big play 
uh, problem yeah. for that Cyclone defense. And my my main question for Iowa is defensively, they've been able to force some interceptions, um, but against Brock Purdy, who is pretty protective with the ball, what does that look like? Because outside of that, they've kind of lacked some big plays on the defense. Um, but, you know, obviously they could be looming just around the corner. A.J. Epinesa has been a little quiet so far this year, uh, but this is definitely the big time game that he could uh, show his face in and uh, make a big time impact. Iowa State almost lost against Northern Iowa, as you mentioned, but they did prevail. Brock Purdy was his normal self in that one, completed over 73% of his passes, 278 yards, two touchdowns. And Iowa State had three backs with at least 10 carries. They tried to replace David Montgomery, but all three of them only averaged 4.3 yards per carry. So the jury's still out on that running game. Um, Purdy additionally needs to find a secondary receiver. He completed 14 passes to Shantae Jones. And you know that Iowa defense is going to try to shut him down to force Purdy to look elsewhere. Defensively, for the Cyclones, Marcel Spears, Greg Eisworth, and Mike Rose were all over the field and posed problems for Iowa. And that doesn't even mention Jaquan Bailey and Ray Lima, who might be the best two on the D. I think Iowa State's first game was an aberration, and this will be a hard-fought game with Alaric Jackson being out for this one from Iowa. I'm interested to see how the rest of that offensive line steps up against this highly talented Iowa State front Mm -hmm. seven. With the Cyclones still looking for a lead back, they struggle running the ball, but I like Brock Purdy and that Cyclone defense in the fourth quarter, and I like Iowa State to win this one outright, 27-24, Chappie. Okay, good pick. And again, that's one I'm going to stay away from. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm picking it here on our podcast because it's a highlight game. But uh, if if listeners are, are wondering who would you put your money on, I wouldn't put money on anybody in this one. I would right. just watch it for the enjoyment of it yes. and may the best team win. And I hope it's as exciting as it's been the last five years. Yep. So what's your last game, Bip? Last game, Chappie, is going to go to the SEC. Uh, Florida getting eight and a half points, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, eight and a half point favorites uh, playing at Kentucky. Um, So now that Kentucky's done beating up on the Mac, we'll see what they have in store for the SEC (laughs) as both of these teams roll into this one 2-0. Unfortunately for Kentucky, um, their starting quarterback, um, and the name's escaping me right now. Terry Wilson. Yes, thank you. Terry Wilson suffered a knee injury against Eastern Michigan and is expected to be out for the remainder of the season. So Sawyer Smith, uh, transfer from Troy, uh, grad transfer from Troy, takes the reins as QB1 for the Wildcats. Now, Smith is a solid, less spectacular quarterback than Wilson, but he does have starting experience, and we'll see how he does in the SEC as his first test won't be easy coming against this fast and aggressive Gator defense. The Gators are coming off a 45-0 shutout of Tennessee Martin, where they only allowed 194 total yards in that game. Jabari Zuniga and Jonathan Greenard continue to have great success as they've combined for six and a half tackles for loss, four and a half sacks on the season, and uh, should pose some major problems for this uh, Wildcat offense, along with the rest of that Gator pass rush. Um, So Sawyer Smith could be running for his life in this one because of that. I think we see a steady dose of Asim Rose and Cavassier Smoke uh, out of the Wildcat backfield as they try to go, uh, slow down this this Gator defense. Each backs had uh, at least 145 yards rushing so far this year and two touchdowns apiece. I also think that Lynn Bowden and Ahmad Wagner give Smith a couple of nice weapons in the passing game, and the Gators are expected to be without their best cover corner, C.J. Henderson, who's dealing with an ankle injury. They also lost mm-hmm. linebacker David Reese uh, for the season with an Achilles tear, but I think... If Kentucky's to hang on in this one, they'll need a rush for over 150 yards and control that line of scrimmage um, for them to have a shot. 
For the Gator offense, Felipe Franks had a much better game uh, against UT Martin, and he damn well better should have uh, going against UT Martin compared to Miami. But he was 25 at 27, 270 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, and most importantly, no boneheaded plays at the end of the game to give that one away. Uh, The Gators should have the ability to move the ball in the air or on the ground against the Wildcats as Toledo ran for 181 yards and three touchdowns while Eastern Michigan passed for 337 yards and two scores, showing the potential holes of that Wildcat defense. Um, LaMichael P. Ryan could find some nice room to run in this one, and that talented group of Gator receivers led by Josh Hammond, Javon Grimes, and Van Jefferson should easily overpower this Kentucky secondary. The Kentucky linebackers have been pretty active this year. Cash Daniel, DeAndre Square, could be counted on early and often in this one. Square already has 16 tackles in uh, a tackle and a half for loss as well as a pick and chase daniels added a handful of tackles and an interception as well florida may be without their most dangerous offensive player Kadarius tony as he heals from a, a wrist injury but i think that florida still has plenty of firepower in this one offensively additionally i think that that loss of terry wilson and the gators ability to stop the run in this one will help the wildcats uh, or will leave the the wildcats feeling frustrated offensively all game i like the gators to cover in this one and win by a couple touchdowns I like Florida 31, Kentucky 17 in this contest, Chappie. Okay, yeah, like you mentioned, Terry Wilson out for the season with a knee injury, but it's on ESPN in primetime in Lexington, and they've got kind of that mojo from stealing one in, in the swamp last year and, mm-hmm. and really being the you know one of the darlings of college football. I like Troy Smith, or I'm sorry, uh, Troy transfer Sawyer Smith, but getting his first start against this nasty Gator defense is not really the way you want to start off your SEC no. play. Um, even though he led the Trojans to five wins last season, including a bowl victory over Buffalo, I think that the Gator defense is too much, and their offense now appears woke. I think the Gators chomp 30-7 to over Kentucky and Lexington. Yep. Um, all right, well, that's that's our, our main picks. Um, let's touch on a couple others. I mean, our, our homer picks. So, Tell us what you see happening with with Notre Dame hosting New Mexico and Bob Davey this weekend. Well, it's a shame that Bob Davey may not even be there for this one, for his uh, homecoming to go back to South Bend. This one's going to be ugly early and often, despite how Notre Dame looked against Louisville in week one. I think they've had uh, the week in between to kind of iron some things out, uh, get a little healthier. I think um, that New Mexico doesn't really pose any sort of a threat uh, whatsoever to the Irish. Um, they damn near lost to Sam Houston state in their opening week. And I think that, uh, Rebecca Lobo or Sheriff Lobo pose a bigger issue to Notre Dame than the New Mexico Lobos. in this one, I think Notre Dame comes out swinging. I think that they put up 30 points in the first half and get a lot of, uh, valuable experience for their, um, their younger guys in this one. I see Notre Dame running away with this one. I don't think that they cover the the 35 point spread just yeah. because that makes me nervous for any team. Um, right. So I think that the Lobos keep this within four touchdowns, but it's going to be, it's going to be a stretch for them to keep it uh, any closer than that one, Chappie. Yep. Uh, so do you have a score for us or are you just going uh, with a, with a spread pick? I, I, I like uh, Notre Dame in this one, 40 to 10 um, with, potentially that uh, last touchdown from New Mexico state coming in the fourth quarter right, um, right. against those Notre Dame reserves. Yeah. So I, I have here, uh, you know, homecoming for Bob Davey partially who's had some health issues, but like you said, he may not even be there. Um, 
you know, winning a close home game to FCS Sam Houston State, who's a good FCS program, but now they play a Notre Dame team that's pretty well balanced on both sides and should be poised for a good game. I'm with you. The spread scares me. 35 points is just a lot. And I know that Notre Dame has some offensive players who are a little bit banged up. So I agree. I think that they could put up, um, you know, 30, maybe even 33, 35 points in the first half, but then they kind of peel off and they get some valuable experience for some of their backups. And they, they don't play the, the offensive guys who are banged up because they don't need to against New Mexico. Yeah. Um, so I think it could be 35 or slightly there. But I'm going to call for UNM to beat the points. And New Mexico will be saying, Notre Dame's a mother. Pray for us. So <laughs> give me the Irish, 38 to 10. Yep. And and one thing that Notre Dame needs to hope on this one is that Ian Book kind of figures out what was plaguing him in week one. Is he was good, not great, not what we were, yeah. what Notre Dame fans were accustomed to from last year especially against a, a poorer defense like Louisville. So they're going to need to fine-tune several things in this game and look almost flawless against New Mexico before they gear up for their uh, their trip to Athens to face Georgia the week after. Yeah. Uh, real quick, and, and I don't know if you uh, have thoughts on this game or not, but I'm going to go with my Northwestern Wildcats. Mm-hmm. They're hosting UNLV. They're 18.5-point favorites. Um Isaiah Bowser, who's their star running back, uh, might not play in this game or he might play sparingly, but I expect Hunter Johnson to be turned loose and that passing game for Northwestern should come up pretty big for NU. UNLV's run game is 16th best in the NCAA, but they haven't faced Patty Fisher, Blake Gallagher, and that vaunted NU defense under Walter White or Coach Hankowitz on defense. (laughs) Um, So give me the Cats to get back some confidence before Sparty comes to town and I come with them. So I'm taking NU 31 to 10 over the rebels in Evanston. Yeah, I'm with you on on that one. Uh, Good rushing attack from UNLV, but they've played Southern Utah and Arkansas state and lost 17 to 43 against Arkansas state. So I and think gave up 23 against Southern Utah, who's only won one game in their last 15. So that, <laughs> that puts into perspective. So, yeah, the fact that they're going, their strength is going up against Northwestern's defense's strength. I think that they struggle to put points on the board here. I'm going to go Northwestern 30 UNLV six and hope that Northwestern gets better quarterback play this time around. Jappy. Sure. Sure. Um, any, uh, any, Bips trips. I'm going to call mine Chappie's Chasers. So in other words, we're talking about our our teams that are maybe going to uh, upset outright or um, at least maybe make it closer than the spread would suggest. Bip, do you have a game or two yeah. that you would call for? Um, and, and first, I want to say I'm never again picking Vandy as a trip up game. Uh, that defense <laughs> looks dreadful and the offense isn't as high powered as I was expecting it to be. Vanderbilt yeah. is my Tennessee and Florida State this year, Chappie. But I digress. <laughs> Um, uh, speaking of Florida state, I'm going to have Florida state winning at Virginia. Who's getting, uh, who are seven and wow. a half point favorites going into this week. Virginia's two and oh, after a couple convincing wins against Pitt and William and Mary, but I'm not real convinced that Pitt's going to be a strong team this year. And William and Mary is William and Mary. Neither opponent has the firepower or the scheme that Florida state will be throwing at them offensively. They have limited, um, their opponents, uh, Virginia's limited their opponents to few yards, but turned the ball over four times against William and Mary. So if they do that against this Florida state defense, um, they could find themselves unable to recover. If that seminal offense can take advantage of those mistakes. Cam Akers has 376 yards from scrimmage this year and is averaging 6.1 yards per carry. And looks like he's referring returned to his 2017 form. 
James Blackman's completing 73% of his passes, and Tamorian Terry and DJ Matthews will ta- challenge that Virginia, uh, that talented Virginia secondary as much as any team in the ACC might this year, uh, Clemson notwithstanding. I think the Seminoles come out swinging in a game that'll go a long way towards keeping Willie Taggart in that garnet and gold in 2020. I like the Seminoles in this one, 31 to 30, Chappie. Okay. Um, it's very interesting you say that. That's my pick as well, Bip. All um, right. <laughs> now, I know that FSU has looked like second-half garbage this season. Going down with the Titanic, to... aren't you, Chappie? <laughs> I am, yep. <laughs> uh, it's hard to argue against the fact that they played, played pretty well in the first half. And I wonder, Bip, if it might be wise for them to, in practice this week and the rest of the season, have a first-half defensive unit and a second half defensive unit don't play your first half guys in the second half because apparently they have a problem with hydration out in uh, <laughs> Tallahassee right but this game is not at steamy humid Doak Campbell Stadium and maybe the UVA program will allow them to drink some water in this uh, week three matchup right my concern for overrated Virginia is Bryce Perkins has been doing a little too much for the UVA offense he not only is obviously their leading passer and he his stats haven't been stellar but he's also their leading rusher with just over 100 yards on the season. So that spells problems for um, an ACC team going against a, a talented Florida State defense, at least in the first half anyway. Um, you know, I know that uh, they um, – I know that, you know, he needs some help, and uh, I'm not going to give up on Florida State just yet. So I am going to pick them to win this game. I don't have a score, but I'm going to pick them to win it outright. But I'm going to tell everybody, a loss here by Florida State, and I will vow not to pick them anymore this season. I'm not saying that I don't think that they'll win any more games, but I certainly will not highlight them or uh, talk about any of their games if they drop this one. So I'm putting my faith one more time. I'm putting my chips all in on the Garnet and Gold and Willie Taggart and his coaching staff and his athletes to get it done and beat Virginia out in Charlottesville to take that game straight up. Yep. Yeah, I think if Florida State loses this one, Chappie, I think Western Kentucky comes calling uh, to Willie Taggart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so right? a couple of the games that I like, uh, I don't like either of these teams to win, but I do think that they could cover uh, rather easily. Georgia State at Minnesota and Arizona State at Michigan State. I already touched upon that one, but neither offense uh, impress, impressed me. You're talking me. about Georgia Southern, Georgia Southern against uh, Minnesota? Yes, thank you, thank okay, you. Okay, okay. Yeah, yep. got my yep. words mixed up with so many states there. Um, yes, Tennessee Ge- fans are cursing you right now, but... Uh. <laughs> neither offense, uh, that being Minnesota or Michigan State, impresses me just yet, despite the 51 yeah. points that Michigan State put up against Western. Um, I think that the defense for Arizona State is good enough to hang with the Spartan offense, and I think that grinded out style of each offense will keep each team within single-digit uh, deficit throughout the game as the clock hits zeros for each. So I think that the 15.5 that Minnesota is giving and the 13.5 that Mich- Michigan State's giving, I think that uh, Georgia Southern and Arizona State cover those games this week. Um, Chappie, did you have any, uh, any others as far as uh, outright or covers? Yeah, I'm going to go with a cover, and that's the Clemson-Syracuse game. So Clemson's getting 27 and a half, or giving 27.5 points to Syracuse. So against the spread, I like Syracuse to stay within this 27.5-point spread, just like I liked um, Texas A&M to beat the 18- uh, or 17.5-point spread against Clemson. Right. Clemson's going to be a little bit relaxed after clearing the A&M hump, and Dino Babers is taking that Maryland debacle personal, I think. They go up to the Carrier Dome. It's at night. I think they're going to get a pretty good crowd for it. 
Um, and this team has been gearing up for Clemson all offseason and all since the end of last season. So don't think that they won't have motivation in this game. Plus, they still have a lot to play for, especially in the ACC. That Maryland loss is not a big deal. And I think that everybody's talking about how the sky is falling on Syracuse. And I know you and I have touched on it. We are not convinced on Tommy DeVito yet. Yeah, But he's a different animal, and that offense is a different animal inside the turf on the Carrier Dome. So I don't think Clemson is a four-touchdown team that's better than Syracuse right now. They might be overall, but I think that this is a game where Dino Babers uh, turns up the juice, and Dabo Swinney basically just says, we want to go in there and get a win. I don't care if we win by 10, 13. Um, I don't care if we win by one point. We just want to get the W and come out with an ACC Atlantic victory and, and march on to the rest of the season because this is not going to make or break Clemson season. Um, so give me uh, Clemson 41-17. But again, um, the 24-point difference, I think that certainly covers the spread for Syracuse. And I think it could be one where Clemson pulls away late. But we're going to see a game that is still competitive into the third quarter going into halftime. And people are starting to buzz saying, oh, is Clemson falling? Is Clemson you know, going to trip up here? And they're going to still talk about Trevor Lawrence. But I think that Trevor Lawrence will end up having a, a good second half. And it will silence the, uh, you know, uh, the naysayers who right. are skeptical of him. Uh, but, yeah, so I like Clemson, but I, th- I think Syracuse keeps it close. Okay. Closer anyway. Right. Um, yeah, so that's it for me. There's no other games that really stood out in terms of spreads or margins, but I think that we're going to have some interesting matchups. And another one that I'm really curious to watch is Friday night. Aside from Wake Forest in North Carolina, there's 22nd-ranked Washington State going out to Energy Stadium and playing uh, a Houston team that put up a, a decent and respectable fight against Oklahoma out in Oklahoma's backyard. So now this could be a trip-up game for Mike Leach's Wazoo Cougars. I would not be surprised at all if the, um, if the Houston Cougars come out with the victory. And Les Miles going against a sneaky good 2-0 Boston College team uh, who could improve to 3-0 and could be one of the better undefeated teams that nobody's talking about and nobody really believes. I've been impressed by Anthony Brown, their quarterback this year, because I was sorely unimpressed and um, you know a little bit uh, undersold on him in his play last year, Bip. So that's another game to kind of keep an eye out for. So Friday night's going to be a fun night. Yeah, I, I wish that that Washington State-Houston game was on at a, a different time than the Wake Forest-North Carolina uh, because those might be the two most entertaining games the entire weekend, but for sure, right. That's why, uh, God made DVR, right? Chappy. I was going to say you and I should watch the wake forest, North Carolina game live, record the Houston Wazoo game. And then we'll watch that and delay at the same time. And we'll talk and text back and forth. And, and, and as if we're watching it in real time, that's a, that's a, brilliant, like a, plan? That's a brilliant plan. All right. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> Well, that's it for the week three preview, ladies and gentlemen. We get back to it on Friday with two pretty good games. We talked about it. Wake Forest, North Carolina, Washington State, Houston, um, and then uh, Kansas and Boston College. And by the way, Kansas lost their first, or I'm sorry, Coastal Carolina won their first ever game against a Power 5 opponent when they knocked in a field goal uh, late in the game to beat Kansas last week. Then there's, of course, a handful of interesting games on Saturday featuring top 25 teams squaring off. So continue to follow Bip and I next week as we review what just happened in the world of college football's week three weekend and our hopefully more profitable picks of week four in the games that lie ahead. So if you want to be more informed than the other guys, continue to follow us here on a bowl full of chips. I am at champion underscore lit and he is at BFC Bip. So check us out on Twitter to get our picks in print. So like a delicious steak, we are done. Well done, I don't mind saying. Once again, I am Chappie. And I am Bip. 
and we thank you for giving us your time. So happy football to you. We'll see you next week. Be good, be right, and be with us next night. Lights out. Good night, everybody.